importance in papal politics until uh, 1455 when our first cute player comes onto the scene. Tell us, what's his name? I believe his birth name was Alfonso de Borgia. Really all you need to know is um, that he was there and uh, who he was. He, um, Alfonso de Borgia is going to become Calixtus III because at the time the uh, two families feuding over the papacy in Italy, I believe it were the Orsini and Colonna families, they both decided to elect a pope that wouldn't last very long in office. And along came Calixtus III. Now one thing he did, if I remember correctly, you did this part of the research, one thing he did was kind of funny to me. He uh, yeah, he he started a riot. So uh, allegedly there was this tradition called uh, Monte Giordano, and it was one in which representatives of the Jewish community presented a scroll of the Torah to the Pope, and the Pope's job was just to accept it. You know, kind of this uh, ecumenical thing. You know, Catholics and Jews getting along. Well, you know, he did his. Uh, uh, he decided to troll them, and he said, I ratify the law, but I condemn your interpretation of it. And in this story, that then caused a riot, and uh, his life was in danger, and he had to get out of there. You know. Calixtus, he's got have kind of an uneventful reign. Another thing he did that I don't know if showed up in your research, but showed up in mine. Another thing he did was approve the retrial of Joan of Arc, which is absolutely hilarious because oh, yeah. by this time Joan of Arc was long yeah. dead. Yeah, I know. I actually did find that. Yeah, and uh, then they they acquitted her after um, she's long dead because yeah. that's helpful. Tables really turn for the Borgias when uh, 1492 comes around because that is when the current patriarch of the Borgia family, Cardinal Rodrigo Borgia of Valencia, obviously is going to become Pope Alexander VI. Now, this election, just like with Calixtus's election, is going to be an extremely contested one. There are, it's rigged, folks. There are report after report that the Borgias bought that papacy, that the Borgias promised benefices and titles to various cardinals to get their votes. And um, well, one report from the Arbiter of All Truth, Wikipedia, uh, said that when Rodrigo Borgia was elected, a cardinal in the room would say, Flee, we are in the hands of a wolf. So, uh, yeah, but the funny thing is... Salty. Yeah, he's a very salty dude. The funny thing is, Rodrigo was actually a very popular guy, because long before this, he served as vice-chancellor of the church in Rome under a few popes, and 
By that time, he was a very, very, very popular dude. Yeah. Sources. Sorry, you were saying? Oh, uh, one thing you'll notice about some of these names is uh, they are, in fact, Spanish and not Italian. Um, in If you watch at least the beginning of the Borgias series on Netflix, uh, you'll notice that, uh, you know, they play up some of the suspicion that Italians or Romans or insiders of the church had uh, towards the Borgias because of their uh, Spanish identity. Which uh, the suspicion was a true thing. The, yeah. the suspicion toward outsiders and Spaniards were true, but they were not as true as the show wanted to make it out to be. Yeah. By the time he had become Pope, he's already have he's already had four adult children, which are at this point their names are Juan. Gonna get into him in more detail later. Lucrezia, Cesare, and yeah, Giuffre. Juan turns out to be not not uh, entirely irrelevant to this the subject of this episode. Giuffre isn't exactly a relevant Borgia until. Well, actually, yeah, he, he does have some relevancy into this episode, but yeah. We'll get into that. In short, the Borgias were a family coming out of Valencia, Spain. I realize we were kind of all over the place, so I'm going to summarize what we've talked about up to this point. The Borgias were a family coming out of Valencia, Spain. They're not going to have as much, they're not going to have as much political power until 1455 with the coming of Pope Calixtus III. Pope Calixtus, he really had an uneventful reign. He's going to pave the way for his nephew, or at least the one he called his nephew. Apparently there were times when men would call their illegitimate children a nephew. But um, he's going to pave the way for Rodrigo de Borgia to become Pope Alexander VI in 1492. Both of their elections were contested. Both of their elections were suspected of bribery and a term you've probably never heard before, simony, which is the selling of uh, ecclesiastical offices, pretty much. But, uh, yeah. That's yeah, it's because it's of this one dude named Simon who did a lot of it. You know, it, it was, it's actually uh, uh, it's, uh, Paul Simon. He's a, he's a time traveler. He's, uh, it's a time traveler and steals uh, dang, elections. Dang, dude. Dang, dude. Imagine if we could do that. Have him. Pope Mechanicus, dude. Elect me Pope. Imagine the political power I'd have. I'd make a horrible Pope, to be honest with you. Like, it, I'd be like Rodrigo Borgia. I'd be, administratively speaking, pretty decent. But uh, I would not make for the best of Popes. But that's a story for another time. What you came here for is to hear about this next story we're about to tell you. Let's fast forward a little bit in Rodrigo Borgia's reign to 1497, June of 1497. One night, the Borgia children, Lucrezia, Juan, Cesare, and Giuffre are all at a dinner with their mother. Their mother was a woman named Vanozza de Catanae. She's not gonna play much importance in the story. And uh, when Juan and Cesare both leave, they ride together for a little while, but at that dinner and at this night ride, there's been the presence of some strange masked man following them around. He's, he was reported to have followed them around for a month prior to this. At one point in the night, Juan decides he wants to go out and pursue his own lechery and have his own fun. It's at that point, from that point on, Juan vanishes. Nobody can find him. What do you think happened here? 
Uh, I'm going to say, you know, he went out into the woods and built a cat. He was murdered. Spoiler alert, yeah, he was murdered. He, uh, and this masked man wrote into, now, the spots he wrote into were contested. I read that he was found, that he was, he had ridden into the Piazza degli Ebrei, but another source said it was near the side of the future Piazza della Giudecca. So we'll say he rode into some part of Rome with this masked man behind him, and they left a servant behind them. Now what they told this servant was to stay here, and if I'm not back within the hour, go home. Yeah, which, I, I read that that was his uh, horseman or groom. Which, in this case, home was the Vatican, obviously. Not even an hour later, this guy that's waiting is brutally beaten. He hides in a house, but it's too late. He's found dead the next day. But yeah, where things get interesting is sometime after Juan Borja's horse returns. It's a white horse. No, no. No, it's not a white horse. I couldn't find exactly what type of horse it was, but his horse returns, but Juan is not riding it. And one of the stirrups is missing. Now, when Juan first disappears, Pope Alexander VI, remember that's his father, will uh, not initially be worried, but once one day becomes two, Alexander VI starts to panic and orders a citywide search. So, Juan has disappeared. At first, it's thought that he is out with his mistress, but after this citywide search, a witness comes forth, a fellow by the name of Giorgio Schiavi. Now, Giorgio says that he is he was out by the Tiber River one night watching a shipment of lumber, because he's a lumber merchant, when he notices five men ride up nearby. Five men, one riding a horse, but that horse has got a what looks very much like a dead body on its back. These men will get off the horse, pick up the dead body, throw it into the river, and throw stones at it so it sinks. Now, the reason why Giorgio Scavi came when came forward when he did was because at first he literally pretty much said, look, men, I've seen this happen hundreds of times before. I thought nothing of it at first. Sometime later, after this witness account, and a combing of the Tiber River, Juan Borgia's body is found with nine stab wounds, but all this money's still in his pocket and all his clothes are still on him. So this clearly wasn't a robbery. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, that's the part I find weird because yeah, obviously that establishes that the motive wasn't robbery, but like, okay, neither of us are criminals. Uh, I mean, I can speak to my own proclivities, but, you know, even if you were murdering someone for political reasons or it was a crime of passion or you had some other reasons, like, you, you'd think, like, they would still maybe take their stuff. At this time, Juan Borgia had made not very many friends. He had, uh, he never had a good relationship with his brother Cesare, who, because Cesare was always intensely jealous of Juan. Juan was the golden Borgia. Cesare wanted everything he had. Cesare wanted a military position, but instead got a cardinal position. He was just, he was just generally jealous. Story as old as Cain and Abel. Now, another thing 
that gets interesting is the lesser-known Borgia brother, Jufre, will be involved in this story, too, because, oh, that poor bastard Jufre, that poor, poor man. Jufre is married to a lady named Sancha of Aragon at this time. And, uh, it's bad when one man is having an affair with your wife, but it's even worse when it's all of your all brothers. Of, yeah, it's all of your brothers. All of the Borgia brothers were having an affair with poor Jufre's wife. Jufre has motive every way to Sunday, obviously. All of his brothers are... All of his brothers are having an affair with his wife. He it seems like motive every way to Sunday, but... Yeah, but you gotta, you gotta think, like, why would he then stop at uh, Cesare unless maybe he wanted to, to make a point? But then, at, at this point, you would, you would probably just reveal yourself in, in some way. I don't, I don't know how to square that circle. Jufre seems to have motive everywhere to Sunday, but Jacob's kind of right there with, if all of the Borgia brothers are having an affair with his wife, it would only make sense to kill all of the Borgia brothers. But there's another group that has motive too. There's actually another group and another man that has motive in this. Yeah, what we've uh, mentioned before. There's the Orsini family because only recently before Juan's death, Juan had launched a military assault on Orsini land. So, I mean, what would be a better way to retaliate against your enemy family than by killing its golden child? And the got the idea that a masked man followed him in and Juan never returned, the idea that that was an Orsini thug kind of does make sense. Yeah, but... Why then would they allow an Orsini thug to just hang around? Like, True. Like that adds complexity to the theory. You know, it would have to be it would have to be some kind of uh, situation where it's a, a double agent or something. I don't know. Well, yeah, I keep forgetting that this masked man that followed Juan to his demise was at the dinner with the rest of the Borgia family, so the Borgias clearly knew him and accepted him, which. If the Borgias knew him and accepted him, then that really does bring the suspect pool... If you're talking about individual people, that brings the suspect pool down to two, but... Well, at least one of them knew him and accepted him. Like, the other ones might have just been like, Oh, I mean, this guy's a little sus. Like, we're not even having a... We're not even having a costume party here, and he's wearing a mask. I did... I... When I said two, I meant either one of them, to be clear. Right. Um, the masked man sitting with them kind of does add on the possibility that it was a Borgia. It was a Borgia-approved thug, but for all we know, we have no evidence to justify that. We have, all we have is that his presence was approved. So, honestly, I'm not quite sure who that masked man was with, but I think suffice it to say, he might have been the one that dealt the killing blow yeah it, it might have, it might have like just involved him you know like it, it might be someone else we haven't even thought of who had a personal who, who had a personal relationship uh with one but also like a personal beef yeah and the reports that i've read of the dinner mentioned Jufre explicitly there so they knew Jufre was there it definitely rules out Jufre, and i honestly think Cesare would have nothing to gain from it I see why it works. I see why that motive works. Cesare wanted to kill to gain a military position, but he was already on his way to gain one as it is. And he was very clearly jealous of Juan, so killing Juan would just put more suspicion on him as it did in the end. 
Honestly, looking back at it, my... It's either the Orsini family that ordered this killing, or a cardinal that wasn't too happy with Juan's recent deeds, a guy by the name of Ascanio Sforza, who was part of another rich family in Italy. We know it involved more than one person, because the eyewitness before said there were four or five men getting yeah. the yeah. body into the uh, Tiber River. Um, yeah. So that tells me either um, you know, professionals were brought in to handle this, or it started out as maybe a scuffle, you know, just involving like uh, uh, two people and then, you know, like four other like friends or, or you know, hitmen, you know, assassins were brought in to, to help with this. Well, yeah, that doesn't really, looking at it like that, that doesn't really uh, narrow down the suspect pool much because all of the suspects that we have at this point are from all rich families, one of them from Few of them are from the papal family, so they have the resources to hire five dudes. But honestly, in the end, I think we have no way of guaranteeing who did this. Honestly, yeah, I think it was probably an outside force now that I think about it. It was either, it was definitely someone hired. Honestly, I think the Orsini family had the most motive, but it might not have been them. I can't quite be for sure in the end, but. Who knows, it might have been a double agent. It might have been just simply a double agent in a mask. You see what I mean there? Yeah, well, I think uh, Wikipedia offers us another suspect. Would you uh, like to hear? There was another suspect that it named, something Morandola. Because yeah. uh, the guy had a, it might have been him in the end. The list of suspects. All the killers were never identified. There are three theories of suspects and motives. So this one is, um, the killer was Antonio Maria della Morandella, the father of a young girl whose house was located near the Tiber. Shortly after his death, Juan did not miss the opportunity to mention that he dishonored the daughter of one of the representatives of the ancient Roman family. Lesson there, if you uh, want to be, you know, have an F-boy, do not, uh, uh, make sure the father is not crazy. At that time, it might have been because they were uh, suffering from the same blind side that we are, which yeah. is like not considering a more obscure figure. Yeah, it's like, like is it the Orsini's? Is it you know? Is it Cheshire? Is it you know? Um, meanwhile, there's this other guy who's you know isn't the Pope. There's just some random mask dude following them around. But yeah, it turns out he he's just this other like like. Uh, more obscure rich guy, and uh, Juan had a uh, fling with his daughter, if we're going to put it charitably. I mean, this uh, this is somewhat ambiguous. I, I, I'm going to assume it's not something worse than that, but you know, say it's something sexual. Uh, father did not like it. Um, you know, uh, Juan had a relationship with the father, and uh, Dude. duped it out, and he ended up uh, stabbed nine times. So at this point, we know that Juan Borgia has been found dead, stabbed nine times. There, there are four individual men that are suspects, five if you count the if you count a whole family. Since the reports say that it was some masked man and his presence was very clearly known, he somehow got in to the Borgia dinner. He, they might have trusted him as some security guard. Um, 
not quite sure, but... Yeah, I, I mean, I joke, but the mask thing is weird. Like, either that was a normal part of um, uh, culture in Italy at that time, or that was just, like, legitimately weird and no one knew what to make of it. Or, yeah, he might have, he might have been, this might have been, like, a security guard or some kind of, like, hired thug. Did we miss anything? I think that's everything we covered for this murder. Juan Borgia stabbed nine times, uh, dropped in the Tiber River. They found him. Uh, we don't know who did it. There are a lot of theories. There are a lot of speculation. Hi. Thank you for listening to Need and Murder. Written and directed by Adam McCain and Jacob Amosus. Stay tuned. For next, we will learn about Martin Gare and his historical work. Story.